Mangatela on 702. Live streaming countrywide on the Prime Media Plus app. Yes TV channel 856. 92.7 and 106 FM. Seven minutes after nine o'clock. Du melang sanbolani. Bonjour, du melang tobela. Di ni huya more. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Clement Manyatela Show. Thank you for being with us here on seven o two. I hope you're well this morning, wherever you're listening to us from. And I'm wishing you all the best with your day, Fandach. Congratulations in advance to Judge Mandi Samaya, who has been nominated by President Cyril Ramaphosa as the next Chief Justice when the term of office for Justice Raymond Zondo comes to an end in August. There's still a whole process to go before she's officially appointed. Uh, Leaders of political parties in the National Assembly will make submissions on her suitability or otherwise to hold this office of Chief Justice. But most political parties, if not all, actually support her. So it's almost as good as done. And she's said to be the first female Chief Justice. That's a big deal. And kudos to the police for nabbing the suspects in the murder case of AKA and Tibbs. I know that it's too early to celebrate, given how sometimes these investigations are bungled and police don't have enough evidence to successfully prosecute, but it's a welcome development, especially for the family of AKA and Tibbs. The police say they've arrested six people. They seemed to have compelling evidence against the accused from what they shared with the public yesterday. Uh, The mastermind is among those in custody. So we'll find out tomorrow when they appear in court who this mastermind is and what was the motive for the killing of AKA. Are you feeling relieved? Are you feeling hopeful? 011-883-0702. That's how we kick off the 702 open line this morning. You can send us your WhatsApps on 072-702-1702-1130. That's the show coming up over the next three hours. 702. Let's walk the talk. Someone on the WhatsApp line says, who is Bunju? <laughs> Bunju. Good morning. Um, that's Bunju. Um, okay, let's start with your calls, right? 011-883-0702. It's a 702 open line. Uh, you can send us your WhatsApps on 072-702-1702. So, last night, our company, Prime Media, hosted something they called a dinner with a difference. We were here in Santin at the Hilton Hotel. And you may have heard Bongani reflect on that dinner last night with Cindy. Um, and I just wanted to share with you as well how... I and the people I was sitting with on my table experienced it. And I want to know if something, if it's similar, you've experienced something similar. It, it was a dinner, a dinner with C-suite executives from various companies, your CEOs, CFOs, CIOs, etc., etc. And we didn't know what was going to go down until it was announced to us as we arrived that we're going to have dinner in the dark. Our MC, revealed this to us. Our MC was Hayne Wagner, who is completely blind. He was actually born blind. 
so he told us just before the dinner to surrender our cell phones and watches, anything that illuminates the room. And then we were ushered into this completely dark room. Our waiters were leading us. I mean, we had to hold each other's hands or place our hands on each other's shoulders. And then we were directed on where to sit. It was so dark that you didn't see the person sitting next to you. You can't see anything in front of you. And the whole idea was to get us to get a sense of how blind people live. This was part of Prime Media's launch of its CSI project, which will support the most vulnerable and disenfranchised in our society, the blind youth. Right? It's an initiative that will help fund blind youth development in South Africa while simultaneously promoting the employment of blind youth across corporate South Africa. So here we are in the dark with all these people on our table and you can't see them. We were told we've got fruits and white wine and some red wine, some still and sparkling wine on our table, but we couldn't see that. We had to rely on each other for almost everything. And the starters came, some people were eating with their hands because it was such a mission to eat what you can't see. How do you even pick the food up with your fork and knife? But it was such an, a humbling experience. Obviously, that doesn't mean we now know how it feels to be blind. No, far from it. But we had an opportunity to walk in the shoes of people who are blind for over two hours. And that gives you a completely new perspective of their lives and of their lived experiences. I mean, we had to rely on audio. And there were glasses that fell. Thank goodness the wine didn't spill on our, ta- on our table, but it may have on other tables. I had butter all over my hand because I needed to, I found my bread after five minutes of looking for it. Because you also had to be very slow and careful because you don't want to you know, break the glasses. You don't know what's on the left, what's on the right. And then you find the butter and it's all over your, because you, you're feeling it, right? And, but what I found is that we were more engaged on our table. We were so interested in hearing each other. We didn't have phones. We didn't have our watches. So you were stuck there with these people and that was just incredible. We visualized a lot. I visualized what the people I was sitting with looked like and I was far from the mark. When the dinner was done and we had lights back on, I was so wrong. Because the people I had visualized, I thought they looked like this. Oh, they're sounding like this. They must be tall. Uh, they might be either skinny or a little bit chubby. I was completely wrong. And I think now I, I feel, I actually now understand how you as a listener feel when you listen to us on a daily, right? On the radio. And you actually don't know what, we look like and then when you finally find out how we look like and like you're either taken by surprise or you are shocked because that's not what you <laughs> you visualized uh, but we had such great conversations man we were so reliant on each other uh, we checked on each other when we realized that there's someone who hasn't spoken in a while because by then we knew each other's voices it was such a transformative experience and i wonder if you have done something similar before a dinner in the dark, or if you have tried to walk into someone else's shoes to get a sense of their of their lived experience. I mean, there was an initiative I remember um, a couple of years ago where people used to 
get on a wheelchair for a day or so as part of Disability Awareness Rights Month to raise funds for organizations that help people with disability. Is that something you've done? And how did that change you? How did that change your perspective? I know there have been other initiatives of men who will try to, at the very least, try and understand how it feels to actually not have their patriarchal advantage. Yes, you're not going to get a full experience of like how it feels to be a woman in South Africa where they can't walk at 10 p.m., right, without worrying about their safety. But there's certain, there's something that changes in you when you are getting a glimpse of other people's plight. When you get a sense of how people live. When you begin to start appreciating the things that you've taken for granted for the longest of times. Hmm? Even Deaf Awareness Month. There are people who will often decide to even go into sign language because they've experienced a, a little bit. They've got a sense of how it feels to actually be deaf. Is that something you've done where you've tried to walk into someone else's shoes who is different from you? And how did that change you? Because what I experienced last night, I don't think I'll ever forget. 011-883-0702. The WhatsApp line is 072-702-1702. Your voice. Your station. Your open line. Walk the talk with Clement Magnatella on 702. Good morning, Clement and the listeners of 702. This is Ndi from Rody Port. I was wondering if you know about this app. It's called Be My Eyes. And um, you will just download it on your phone and you'll get a notification or a call that uh, someone is calling you. My first encounter was someone who was vendor speaking. Um, I am originally a vendor and my home language is Shivenda. So... Uh, they called in, they were buying groceries, and they wanted me to just double-check the prices and guide them around the store. Very fulfilling app, and I'm not sure if you know it or not. It's for people that are visually impaired or challenged. Oh, okay, I don't know. I'll check that out. Um, I'll check it out. You know, I'll bring in, you know, Hayne Wegner at some point, um, who, ha- who has started the Hayne Wegner Academy. Because he was just incredible, man. Like there's, there's so much perspective he has. Someone, someone spoke last night, one of, one of the guests we had, and said, you know, while we were in the dark, and said, you know, one of the things I'm missing is the eye contact. You know, because there's a lot of things that are being said. You don't know how what you're saying is being received. Like, is someone smiling? Is there an awkward grin on their face? Like, what's going on? And I remember Hayne Wagner, who was our MC, saying, you know, that's one thing I've yearned for that I think you guys must never take for granted. Because as someone who's blind, who's never, ever, ever seen eye or made eye contact, it's like I rely on touch, on feeling. And I would love to get eye contact. And he joked and said even when he was trying to like get the attention of girls, when he was young, it was always difficult because you don't see, you don't, there's something about eye contact that just communicates to you. And I realized last night that there are a lot of things we take for granted. And I also realized that as sympathetic as we can be sometimes to people who are different, who are born with a disability, 
as much as we can be sympathetic to their plight, we have no idea what their lived experience is. And as I said, just you experiencing a dinner in the dark for over two hours or sleeping on the streets, just get a sense of how homeless people feel. That doesn't mean you understand their lived experience. Far from it. But it gives you a sense, walking in those shoes, gives you a sense of what they have to struggle with on a daily and make do. Hi, Clement. No, I don't feel hopeful in the AKA and Tibbs murder case. I hope that the case isn't bungled up like that of Senzumiiwa. And I think we will hit a home run if the mastermind is convicted. And what will also be interesting will be if we are able to find out if indeed the club booking was legit for AKA or if it was also part of the plan. Digeso in Feltefreden Park. Yeah, look, guys, I'm, I'm trying to be optimistic, especially for the families. I, I understand that our, our police have failed us in some instances. When Senzu Meiwa died and we still don't know who murdered him, there are twists and turns. And you just don't know whether we're going or we're coming. But as a family, just put your shoes in the family of Tibbs and AKA. They don't have capacity to be pessimistic. All their, They will take anything. If the police come and say, okay, we've just interrogated this person, it looks good, they will take it because they're yearning for justice. Sabelo on Twitter says, Clement, bro, I wish I was so optimistic like you on the arrests of AKA and tips killings. SAPS always have something, quote unquote, tangible on the yearly anniversaries on high profile killings. Tele just wants to hush us. He goes for actual criminals, but add the cases. That's what Sabelo says there um, on, on, the, on the WhatsApp line. Good morning, Clement, and um, 702 listeners. Clement, I'm so happy about this arrest for the sake of AK and his family so that they can get it closer. But coming to the mastermind, I'm really, really looking forward for what was that. But the mastermind, it will be a person from Devon. You can sense, you can feel. Because if they were tracing him, they wanted nobody but AK. May his soul rest in peace, but the truth will come out. Looking forward to see this, that mastermind. And speaking from yesterday in Pretoria. Your voice. Your station. Your open line. Walk the talk with Clement Magnatella. On 702. Jeff, you're calling us from Woodmead. Good morning. Uh, good morning, yes. Uh, about eight years ago, I broke my leg very badly. So I was in a wheelchair for about three months and then on crutches for about six. And so whenever I see people now, and have, of course you have to be careful that they're not permanently impaired, but if you see that they've had an injury, mm. I always go up to them and say, you know what, this gets better. Mm. And it's those simple words that, um, that actually impact a person quite dramatically. I went to an opt- ophthalmologist once and he was saying, I know you from somewhere. And I said, well, I'm not too sure. And then he said, I remember you. He said, I'd fallen off a horse. And you came to me and you said it gets better. And he said, you know what? It changed my whole outlook on what I was going through. Mm. And it's about, you know what? It's about being there. And then afterwards, when you've got back from there, is remembering what it was really like. Mm. Sure. Wow, Jeff. So, so w- The interesting thing about a wheelchair is when you get out of it, 
you suddenly feel incredibly tall. And I'm not a very tall person, mm. but you suddenly feel like, wow, I'm very tall. So you can imagine what a dog feels like. They always seen they always seen the world at kind of knee height. Mm. Um, so I was seeing it at kind of waist height, and suddenly I got up one day and it was like, wow. My goodness. Yeah. Were you helping yourself um, out, Jeff, or did you have people who were helping you with just getting you into bed, or is that something you had to do no, by no, yourself? I tell you what, it was an incredible experience. My nephew, who has subsequently passed from diabetes, mm. uh, he, he came for the first three months, and without him, I wouldn't have made it. Mm. Wow, Jeff. I wouldn't have made it. He was there, he lived there, he cooked my meals, he did, did, did all the, he made a thing for the bath so I could put my leg up because I had one of those moon boots on. I mean, it was just like, mm. it was hysterical. In fact, the first operation, they wanted to amputate. Fortunately, I was, I didn't know about that, but they didn't. Mm. But yeah, it was, it was an experience that, is, that changed my life completely. Amazing. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for sharing that with us. Good morning, Clement, and uh, 702 listeners. Clement, I'm so happy about this arrest for the sake of AK and his family. Hi, Clement. I like it when you say um, it doesn't mean that you now understand what uh, people with um, vision disability uh, goes through. Because, in fact, their other senses are heightened, sense of smell, sense of taste, sense of touch, you know, and, and, and their surroundings, they probably know that. That's why they know money. If you give them money, they will tell you what that's 200. They know the taste of red wine, better than you, white wine, better than you, the taste of a carrot, cooked and uncooked, mm. you know. So their other senses are more heightened. So they would do better uh, than you do because you are not blind. So you, you are not uh, open to learning some of these things without you seeing them. But once you lose sight, even uh, sight of, of one eye, you know, you get to this point of, of, of using some of your other senses to rely on. Thanks, I'm not sure. Yeah, you know, what I found is that I appreciated um, the flavors in the food as well. Because that's not something I usually pay too much attention to, right? Whether you're having wine or you're having a cocktail, for me, it's like, am I enjoying it or am I not, right? In the mixture, in this concoction, am I taking it in, am I enjoying it or not? Whereas last night, what I experienced was even with the food, you're not seeing what you're eating. I mean, there was a time when I was sitting next to um, a lady by the name of Ntoroso who says to me, is this lamb? And I said, is it lamb? No, it's chicken. <laughs> then I said chicken and because we, and then and then she was like, yeah, I can taste some pumpkin here. I was like, mm, haven't gotten to the pumpkin. Still, I'll find it at some point during this journey. But I realized that I actually appreciated the flavors in the food. Like I, I, there, I took some time to actually consider that and how they land on my palate, and that's not something I ordinarily do. Uh, Jason on the WhatsApp line says, Good morning, Clement. I definitely want to experience this dinner uh, that you guys had last night. Perhaps this could be an ongoing, uh, could be ongoing dinner parties whereby you can buy tickets that support the relevant blind societies. I love the initiative and such a smart way to literally put yourself in another person's shoes and removing all inhibitions 
and or prejudices. Amazing. That's a message there from Jason. Yeah, Jason, I think that's actually been done. So I, I want to invite Hayn Wegner on, on the show at some point and I'll ask him because uh, I know that they often, they do host some of these dinners to support their relevant blind societies, including his organization. So I think that's something you can do. It's uh, going up to 9.30. Your voice. Your station. Your open line. Walk the talk with Clement Magnatella. On 702. It's 25 minutes before 10 o'clock. Let's continue with your calls on 011-883-0702. Your WhatsApp's on 072-702-1702. Morning, Clement. Um, hope you all, man. Clement. I wish I was as optimistic as you are about this case, uh, a.k.a. no tips, but I'm not. I would believe it when I see some results being produced. Um, we know the history of the NPA. We know the history of the SAPS when it comes to them bundling cases. Ah, there is useless, really. Um, as for us getting to know who the mastermind is or are, again, we can dream on. The Inkabis live by a code where that they would rather die with the secret of Guru Jaden Safe's hand. They will never tell who the Inkabi who their mastermind is. Morning Temtem, the Colonel from Maridi. Yeah man, I had a similar experience in Italy. Um, there they call it dying in the dark. So everybody who's working for that restaurant is either hundred percent blind or partially blind. And then, yeah, like you say, man, it was quite an experience. Um, at first, I was scared. You know, you eat something, you don't even know what it is that you're eating. And then, uh, at the end of it, you have to, to, to guess what you ate, you know. It was, it, was, uh, it was a humbling experience, I agree with you. Yeah, look, um, I mean, obviously, the diet requirements were taken. I, I don't take seafood. Um, so, that was made clear from the beginning. Ibrahim was our waiter. He was so incredible. He knew us by name. Um, and he knew that, for instance, that Bongo Musa wants fish and he's going to have fish as, as, as his main and the rest of us will have either chicken or whatever. Like he was so, and then we were told at the end that actually the people who are serving us are either completely blind or partly blind. You're like, how? Yo, it's, it was quite, it was quite incredible. But yeah, um, you sort of, have to know what you eat in a sense that you just want to make sure that someone doesn't eat what they're not supposed to eat. Like if you're allergic to something, um, I mean, I don't know what I would have done if I was busy eating there and <laughs> realizing I'm having fish. Huh? That would have been a travesty. But, but those things are arranged. You know, you discuss them in a way ahead of time. Morning, Clement and your team. Uh, I think it's quite encouraging that some progress has been made with regard to AKA and Tibbs case. However, sometimes I tend to feel like the police reveal too much information. Um, and you also wonder how much of that information compromises the rest of the investigation. Um, sometimes it's frustrating when they just give us uh, very little information, but at times it feels like it's just too much. Um, but let's see how this one goes. Hi, Clement. In 1996, I was rollerblading with my daughters. I broke my ankle and I had to be on a POP for two months. 
using crushes. And during that time, there was Makroko Kroko Olympics. And I respected them, the spirit of endurance. And every time I see somebody with that, I know exactly that that's for life. And in my case, it was just for two months. But as soon as I left those crushes, I had blisters on my hands. Good job for what you did yesterday. Good morning, Clement. On this topic of uh, re-enjoying, rediscovering, and reimagining life, I'll tell you it's very difficult to explain. In 1991, I was involved in a hijacking. I was hijacked. I was a victim there. And after surviving, I always say to God and to myself that the feeling I have is indescribable. It's like today I have 34 years bonus years in my life. Every day is like a day that you say, I know I don't deserve to be alive with this day. It makes you a better person. It makes you to really savor, stroll through life. You you really become very, very sensitive. It's a difficult thing to say that people maybe should go through these experiences to become better people. But it does actually make you a better person. This is Jack from Victoria. Yeah, I wonder what it is, Jack, about humanity that gets us to reconsider and revalue and reevaluate our lives and appreciate things only when we get to experience either the scarcity or the absence of what we are ordinarily used to, right? Okay, you're used to traveling, um, every day driving to work, from work at night. Like you're chilled, you're living until you are robbed or you're hijacked. In, in, in Jack's case And then you appreciate life even more Or you used to enjoy life As if it's you are You are what everybody in the world is And you've got The capabilities that everybody In the world has until Those things are taken away from you What do they say in English? Um, what's that saying? Like, like something like you appreciate Things more when they're gone Something along those lines. I'm just forgetting it. But we do. We do. There are certain things we don't see as privileges. We see as, well, you are born. Well, there are other people who who were not born like that. But two, there are other things that could happen in life that could take away your vision. Things that could happen in life that could take away your mobility. And I wonder what it is about us as humans that we have to reach that point of lack, whether it's for two hours or it's for a month, that we start appreciating certain things even more. And I wonder if it's possible that we can just, even without getting into those experiences, sort of begin to appreciate life more and what we are able to do. Lebo, you're calling us from Proteadlen. Good morning. Morning, Clem. I called you yesterday and I told you that I'm an orientation and mobility practitioner. Yes, I remember. Blind people, how to use a cane. So yesterday, when you handed that plate of food, as an orientation mobility practitioner, if you are a blind person and you are my client, I would have taught you clock face. And I would have told, I would have told you uh, 
maybe your starch is at 12 o'clock, and then your protein is at half birth, your salad is at quarter two, and your veggies are at quarter past. Mm. So these are some of the skills we teach blind people so that they don't seem as disorganized as you were yesterday. Mm. <laughs> and then during our course, we also blindfold it. Oh. Of how it feels to be a blind person. Mm. So that when I teach a blind person how to use a cane and I say use a landmark like this, I know how they'll find that landmark with a cane. Mm. So I have been blindfolded a number of times I've pumped. Um I haven't fell though, because you tend to be slower once you blindfolded. Ah, yes. Um you tend to be more careful mm. and your other senses become heightened. And in my case, it was worse because I'm visually impaired as well. Because there are degrees to being blind. Mm. So um, I don't have central vision. Uh, so I rely, I rely a lot on my peripheral vision. Mm. Mm. Yes. Yeah, yeah. In- incredible. Thank you, Lebo, for, for calling in. Good on you. Thank you for the work that you do there. Um, in, in helping and, and teaching blind people to use canes and, and, and how you're training them. Lebo did call us yesterday when we were talking about NGOs. You don't know what you've got until it's gone. Yeah, that's what I was looking for. Morning, Diamond. I watched that AK briefing with my Tanzanian friend, but it was difficult to explain that Beitel is actually the minister, not Mukwanaz, because of the professionalism of how Mukwanaz was handling himself and Begit Taylor, because there was one point when Begit Taylor was saying that the money that the mastermind paid to the killer was not enough. It was not enough for the for killing of a person. Not that there, there's any enough amount for the life. You know that 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 part uh, that part killed me, man. Kesley. Yeah, he, he's done something similar before, hasn't he? When he's uh, was it when those rapes happened in Rudaport? Um, remember the illegal miners in Rudaport? And there were people who were raped. And he made a comment about how, I don't know, some people were lucky that, I could be wrong. Remind me of what he said specifically. Some, they were lucky they were not killed, but they were just raped. And I know he didn't mean it bad in that, oh, if you're raped, it's much better than being killed. But to your point, there are certain things that he says that actually maybe sometimes you must let people who deal with operational matters deal with because they also know I would imagine, to communicate these things better. And you can hear when Begitele speaks, he does speak as a politician, even when he is talking about sensitive sensitive investigations. But when the National Police Commissioner or Tantlam Kwanazi, who is the Provincial Commissioner there in KwaZulu-Natal, they know what to say and what not to say or how to say certain things so that they do not compromise the investigation. Even when they come to the crime scene, you've seen Bekitele run to the crime scene. That's why people would take videos and say, but are you not compromising the crime scene, sir? What are you doing there? Allow the police to do the work. But I'll ask you the same question I've asked you before when people were complaining about Bekitele being forward. When Bekitele is not also being visible and present and talking about these cases, some of you complain and say, where is he? He's useless. He's not doing anything. So sometimes we don't know what we want. When a minister is involved on the day-to-day and is quite passionate about the work the police are doing and is always going to places where there are big crime scenes, 
complain. When they don't, we also complain. So what do we want? Sfunan. <laughs> morning, morning, Clement and the listeners. Um, it's Virginia from Cape Town. Um, I think they must open a, a, a restaurant, you know, so that all South Africans can experience, the, you know, all this experience you experienced there uh, last night. Um, they must open that restaurant and then we go and eat there and experience um, this experience. This experience is very, 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 it's, it's very nice, you know. Whilst you guys were talking about this, I was just listening. And then if they can open a restaurant and then we'll go there and support them and experience this uh, uh, this daily experience that they are experiencing. It's about experience. Thank you. Thank you so much. Here's that quote. Thank you for that. Here's that quote by Becky Gale. One woman was raped by 10 different men. The one who was 19 years old was lucky, if it is lucky, to be raped by one man. That's that's that comment uh, that he had made that angered some people. Morning, Clemens and the team. Um, you know, as much as it's like, you know, disappointing and sad that it takes moments of luck for us to appreciate life in its fullness, um, I also feel like it's part of the grand design. Um, it's It's why we have, you know, the good and the bad because you you need you just need the polarity you need the one to really realize the other i think it's just like the downside of the human condition we just take things for granted if it's just the norm if everything's all good all the time then it's just normal you know but you you need just something to change it up and make you realize and make you see so I hear you. I hear you. That is part of the ground design. And, but I find that when we take things for granted, most times it's to our detriment. Like people stop drinking because they see their problems with their liver or they stop smoking, but they're already 60 or they're 50 and they're close to dying because they didn't realize the importance of just living a healthy life until they get to that point where they are facing death in the face. And I'm saying I would I would really love to live a life where it's a it's a it's a life that is full, full of appreciation. I'm appreciating that I wake up in the morning and I can get myself into in the shower and I can drive myself to work. I think that there's a level, there's a different kind of life you live when you appreciate things like that, that have come to be basic and normal to many of us. And I think if we live with, that's part of the ground design, that's part of life, it's luck, it's when experiencing luck or you experience what people are lacking that you appreciate life more. I feel sometimes that happens a little bit too late when actually you're about to die. Or actually, you've not taken care of this body. You've not exercised. You've not eaten well until you are told you are sick because you have not taken care of this body. And I don't know. I wish life came with a manual. Like when we were there in the womb, <laughs> we we're being taught of how important it is to be appreciative so that by the time we start living, and maybe that's something you teach your kids, 
from when they're still young. How important it is not to take things for granted. Maybe that's where it begins, no? Your voice. Your station. Your open line. Walk the talk with Clement Manyatella. On 702. It's eight minutes before 10 o'clock. Let's go to Godfrey, who's calling us from Midrain. Godfrey, good morning. Hey, uh, Clement, how are you? Hey, Tara. I'm all right, okay, Tara. What's about now, in my view, Begukele uh, is doing what the minister should be doing. All what needs to be improved is the... Uh, communication skills. There's certain things on a crime scene that cannot be said. That mm. would need national commissioner or a provincial commissioner on, of that particular incident where it happened. So what needs to happen is uh, the, 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 the media department from the minister's office is failing very clearly because in, obviously uh, when he needs to comment, he needs to comment from a minister point of view, not from an operations of SATS point of view. So when you comment on operations, you end up divulging certain things that you should have not said in, in, in that scene. So what needs to happen is he needs to stand back as a minister. He needs to be available, of course, because if he's not there, would complain to say, where is the minister? He needs mm. to be there. But when he's asked questions, he might be able to say the SATS operational management would be able to give any kind of info that would be required. Must he lead these briefings, Coach? Because sometimes when they're on the crime scene, you see he's like there in front and behind him is the National Police Commissioner. And you're thinking, but this is an operational matter. Shouldn't the National Police Commissioner take the lead, especially when there's this kind of communication and the minister can come in, supplement how they're supporting the SAPS in just executing their responsibilities? Because often the National Police Commissioner comes second, gives supplementary comments as opposed to taking the lead? Yeah. Uh, Clement, uh, let me make you an example that's going to make you laugh. Um, you know, when, when you are in a career of, of SAPS, you grow through the ranks, right? Mm. The challenge that happened for Mr. Dekikele is that he was once a, 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 a police commissioner. Mm. So in his mind, that, that has not come clear to say, you are no longer now in operations. You are now an oversight office. Mm. So he was a police commissioner. Then he grew from police commissioner to a minister of police. Mm. So it becomes a difficulty to draw a line in between. It's like you being an operational manager in a company. As a, a COO, the next thing you become a CFO. You still want to control things that are in operation. That's got no control in your jurisdiction. Mm, yeah, no, yes. got you. That's, that's, that's the best way to, to explain it, uh, Godfrey. Thanks for calling, man. As you mentioned, Bekitel always uh, uh, speaks his mind and bungles it up. Uh, I would say he gets excited and uh, it's all about CADA deployment. He gets the got deployment deployed to that department because he's a comrade. He's not a fully fledged police officer. Never was he. That's why he always messes up. Andile in breaking down things. Well, Andile, there are people who work in who are, have never been have worked in specific careers that are are doing ministerial work, and it's not just that. You can go to the Western Cape with the DA. There are people who will do specific. Uh, be over, have oversight responsibility and political responsibility over certain portfolios and they've not in a day worked in that kind of industry before because uh, that's oversight responsibility, right? And it's it's what happens, in fact, um, across the world in, in most countries. 
uh, it's not it's not much different different but i suppose in, there are many or some cases in the country where we just have ministers who just don't know what they're doing i think that's a concern and i don't think much of the problem is that they are they've never worked like the health minister maybe has never been a doctor even though in the current portfolio he has even Zoelim Kiz and the previous one but I'm just saying that shouldn't be a determiner of whether or not you understand your responsibilities there are some ministers who have not done actual or practiced that kind of work in that portfolio and yet they're doing quite well they understand their oversight responsibilities Clement uh, uh, I have learned a lesson allow me not to disclose my name I've learned a lesson to be kind to other people I took my wife on an emergency operation in hospital and they wanted, uh, they, they, she was supposed to get a, a blood transfusion first. That's when I realized that, you know, it is important to contribute in life-saving matters. And from that day, I am going to be a blood donor all the way. So I will encourage people to donate blood as it saves people. And it can save your child, it can save your sister, your aunt one day. Thank you. Yeah, and we take that for granted. Hey, when we talk about the need to just donate blood until it's your family member, it's your loved one who actually is in need um, of that so, yeah, I'm, I'm getting more of your comments about Bekitkele. Someone else says, hey, Clement, Bekitkele once again is playing to the fool's gallery. Um, some of the things that he does are just unbelievable. Look, um, I, th- there's also processes within the SAPS, right? There's protocol that has to be followed. So sometimes when the minister is there, protocol doesn't allow that for instance, the provincial commissioner or the commissioner takes the lead, right? So, minister has got to lead, and 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 then the leadership can can be there with him. Um, but maybe the the perfect thing to do there is the minister must just not be there, especially at the crime scene or when the provincial commissioner is giving us an update about what they've been able to do around the murders in this case of AKA and Tibbs. Maybe the minister just needs to stay away and allow the police commissioners to address the media. Do you remember what happened when there was a building collapse? Was it a building collapse? No, the explosion. What was that street in Joburg that exploded in Brie? Do you remember how crazy things were when there was an explosion at Brie? Politicians were busy giving comments and they knew nothing. And that caused confusion not only to journalists, but to the rest of the public, until a decision had to be made. And I'm so glad that the city of Joburg decided to take a decision that the lead engineers and the city manager are the only people that are going to speak on those matters. Because they are operational. They actually know what they're talking about. Instead of having politicians who are coming and giving sweeping statements. Remember, the president went there. Kumbuton Chaveni was there. The speaker of the former speaker of the city of Johannesburg was there, and all of us are telling us what they think transpired when they are actually people whose job is to tell us what transpired because they've got the skills to make that determination. 
It's 10 o'clock.